what we make of it. Shotgun wedding. Sometimes a first date requires paperwork. A Good Omens fic, written by Charlotte Madison and read by Literarian. Chapter 35 It would take a little time, but eventually they would make it back to the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. They'd hold hands in hushed silence before the great wave, they'd bicker about the modern pieces, they'd make faces at the portraits of once important military men. Aziraphale would get to see Crowley take off his sunglasses and stare up at the frescoes on the ceiling, fiery hair glowing in the daylight, frown slipping away during a few precious moments of awe. Crowley would learn that Aziraphale had a penchant for Constable and Turner, who softened his memories of England through their gaze. Aziraphale would learn that Crowley got surprisingly emotional about sculpture from the Nubian antiquities to Rodin and Giacometti. After four hours, Crowley would grouse that it was unfair Aziraphale's feet didn't hurt. Aziraphale would remind him that walking and teaching all day for decades had manifold benefits. They would stay there until closing enthralled, Crowley's burning feet notwithstanding. Crowley would propose returning soon with Adam and his sketchbook for a dedicated sergeant binge. They'd ride the tea home after sushi with new family membership cards in their wallets, leaning against one another in exhausted post-museum quietude on the train. It would take a little time and three tries but Aziraphale's old reading chair would find just the right spot. The worn, rose-coloured upholstery and mahogany lion's feet would at first feel badly out of place in every room of the Spartan condo, enough to make Aziraphale worry silently and Crowley squirm loudly, until the results of a frantic lunch-break fit of angel spoiling arrived on their doorstep in a dozen boxes. Adam would laugh himself silly while Crowley sheepishly opened it all, swearing to send everything back. Aziraphale would remind his husband that he'd like some input next time, and that the gifts were unnecessary, but so was the self-flagellation. And then he'd unroll the rug Crowley had chosen and tear up at once because it was breathtakingly beautiful and perfectly him. They would create a small world around the chair and its new rug in the master bedroom, nestled in the verdant indoor garden that crowded the picture window. They'd keep half of what Crowley bought and return half, and they'd go out antiquing for the rest, an outing Adam would surprisingly pronounce wicked, until they'd assembled the perfect lamp, floating shelves, some ornate coppery plant stands, an old globe, and two small, mismatched mahogany tables. One for books, one for tea. Aziraphale would come to find it a serene and restorative retreat, 
a place of his own, where he could escape the television to read under a canopy of palm fronds and night-blooming cereus. He would leave teacups there several times a week. It would take some time, but Crowley and Adam would finally beg, barter and cajole Aziraphale into watching a few Marvel movies. And The Lord of the Rings, the extended cuts, naturally. And Panique au village, subbed, not dubbed. And the original Star Wars trilogy. The despecialized Blu-ray version, of course. Oh! Aziraphale would exclaim, turning suddenly to Crowley as old Ben Kenobi explained a certain lightsaber's provenance. Why didn't you mention it was Hamlet? Crowley's trademark shrug would answer. I mean, ish. Hamlet, ish. Actually, not so much, the more you get into it. Spoilers! Adam would complain. Crowley would smirk and consider adding Strange Brew to the movie night queue for a lark. But he'd rein in that impulse. At least until he learned, to his total astonishment, that it was already an old favorite of his husband's. When he persuaded Aziraphale to say the words, Take off, you hoser, Adam laughed so hard he fell off the couch. It would take a little time, but Aziraphale would one day be able to stomach eating in the staff lounge again. In the interim, he'd spent lunch playing cribbage with Anathema in the art studio, despite the fact that it usually smelled of some toxin or another. Many of an artist's tools are poisonous, she would remind him when he mentioned the fumes. Art costs. Everything does, he'd reply. Fifteen, two, fifteen, four, fifteen, six, a pair of eight, and one for his knobs. You may catch me, yet, if your crib's good. Oh, did you invite that lovely young lady on a date yet? Aziraphale would prod with a smile. You did it for both of us, she'd confess, finally giving Aziraphale the satisfaction of seeing her blush for a change. I wanted to, but I choked. She's just... I was intimidated. Newt was braver than you were. Isn't that something? Her eyebrows would converge thoughtfully. He's scared of everything, but in a weird way that makes him not scared of anything. It's hard to explain. The hint of pride in her voice would change to exasperation when she turned over an empty crib. Ah, oh, fuss nuggets! It would take time, but Crowley would eventually collect enough information about Aziraphale's habits that he felt at ease more often than he felt apprehensive. He would find a deep-seated solace in knowing which tea to brew in the morning and which at night, which waistcoat was the favorite and which jumper, what his husband's choice of reading material indicated about his mood, what music he enjoyed, how he took his daily news, and when he did and didn't want to discuss things. 
And of course, there was the delightful process of cataloguing Aziraphale's desires and pleasures. It would keep Crowley awfully busy at home and awfully distracted at work. Planning out the week's dinner menus would become a pleasant obsession. Guessing Aziraphale's order when they dined out would turn into Crowley's favourite game. On the fifth occasion Crowley tried to anticipate his choice, Aziraphale would set his menu down and square it against the corner of the table carefully. Studying up for our green card interview? he'd ask with an amused glint in his eye. I'll get better at it. It's only been six weeks. Why don't you order for me then, darling? No, no, never. Not that... Uh, it's just not what I meant by it. I, I like to guess what you want. I truly mean it. I like most things on the menu here, so why don't you give it a go? I'll enjoy the surprise. But uh, what the fuck it up, though? I'm not sure what apocalyptic consequences you're imagining, Aziraphale would say with a hint of a mischievous grin. But I'm fairly confident the worst of them can be averted by my intervention if you're wildly off the mark. <coughs> In other words, I very much doubt that you will fuck it up. And if you do, it doesn't matter in the least, because I'll just ask for something else. Crowley would stammer half-syllables for a long while. But he would also choose very well indeed when the time came, and he'd be rewarded by the knowledge that he was that much more responsible for the sounds Aziraphale made over dinner. He'd be rewarded in other ways too, once they returned home. And it would take a little time, actually quite a lot of time, but ultimately Crowley would begin to submit to being taken care of, outside of the bedroom. Perhaps committing to a new therapist that same month would prove to be purely coincidental, perhaps not. Inside the bedroom, he would be very well taken care of indeed, and that was the one place he never even tried to resist his husband's ministrations. Aziraphale had ways of making him relax and let go, or perhaps more accurately, combust and disintegrate. It was, as Aziraphale would muse one night, while he unhurriedly took Crowley entirely the fuck apart, a consummation devoutly to be wished. It would take some time, but every last one of Aziraphale's books would find space on a shelf, not in a box or a haphazard stack. At first, only the essentials would be transported, meaning about a hundred titles in total, and Haziraphale would try to squeeze them into the limited space in the office with his husband's collection. Crowley'd insist that would never do, proposing that he could simply wave a hand and make a grand library appear all on its own. But Aziraphale would tentatively counter-propose that they plan it all out together. 
so they'd have their inaugural argument over bookshelves, lost and hungry at Ikea. In the end, they'd flee the stressful blue and yellow building for a favourite café, where they'd browse the blue and yellow website instead. There wouldn't be any shouting, but the whole afternoon would be uncomfortable and fraught. They were terrified of open conflict, and yet strongly opinionated about decor. And they'd both keep trying so very hard to have good boundaries and listen to one another's feelings that they'd repeatedly trip over their own triple-checking of sad feelings and it'd all be a right mess. After dozens of strained mutual assurance with no resolution in sight, Crowley would slump halfway under the table and declare that he needed a drink. But never once would they insult or belittle each other that day. Nobody would raise their voice or stomp away. They'd survive. They'd make the purchase a few days later. And after learning that they could survive a disagreement, the discovery of fantastic makeup sex would soon follow. And Aziraphale would finally feel ready to bring the rest of his books home. Crowley would line the entire dining room wall with the shelves they chose together. The books would be on proud display, not hidden away like his own belongings. While Aziraphale pondered the empty shelves and the arduous organizational task before him, Crowley would bring him a nut-brown ale and haltingly request some recommendations. His own personal reading list, to start catching up. Aziraphale would steer him firmly by the hips into the pantry, where Adam couldn't see, and snog him senseless against the canned goods for ten minutes. After which he'd dedicate one long shelf to Crowley, with books ordered according to his own desperation to discuss them with his husband from left to right. Adam would catch wind of the project and ask for his own special shelf of suggested reading, promising he'd get to them over the summer. Aziraphale would nearly shed a sentimental tear upon hearing that, until he realized his dilemma. Some of his must-read books would be needed on two shelves at once. He'd mutter under his breath about hosting a bloody book club and place a few holes at the public library. Arranging the books to his satisfaction would take well over a week of steady work. He would pronounce it done on a Saturday afternoon in early May. Though he'd decided needed redoing by October, and twice again the next year. Crowley would nod thoughtfully and go to his own shelf to pick up the first book on the list, the one on the very end. He'd take it silently to the couch, where he'd lie down with his head raised expectantly, waiting for Aziraphale to settle there with him. They would read in a cosy shared silence until the sky darkened and Adam asked why dinner hadn't happened yet. You want dinner so much, make a sandwich, Crowley would grumble. Okay, Adam would reply. Make me one while you're at it. 
Okay. The burner would click six times and spark to life. Crowley'd pop up on one elbow, dismayed at the sound. Wait, what? Hang on, Hellion, only joking. But the kitchen would come to life, fridge doors and drawers and utensils all raising a racket. Crowley'd squirm and fuss about it, nearly getting up every few minutes to take over. But each time, Aziraphel would pet his hair and shush him till he stilled, assuring him that he was watching closely for any danger and that Adam was doing fine. They'd all have grilled cheese sandwiches and canned tomato soup for supper. Nobody would object to Adam's use of the fancy cheese, which was very well spent on that evening. The simple meal would taste like a promise. The certain promise of a hopeful green shoot that might grow into something like a family one day, given time and care and pain and problems and work and words and wanting and fierce, unrelenting, gentle, determined, stubborn, gracious love. But all of that was ahead of them yet. Moving in was actually accomplished in less than five hours. Much to his astonishment, Aziraphale's clothing, files and other necessaries fit into four suitcases and a few garment bags. Three heavy boxes of choice books were enough for him to feel truly relocated. The rest would temporarily remain in storage at Tracy's house. He did his best not to mentally forecast a return date. Tick-tock, as he closed the door to his old bedroom. He chose to hope that this move was permanent. And for most of the day, he managed to. They brought everything up to the condo on the Sunday after Adam split his lip. No more than 72 hours had passed since they'd reached their decision. By the end of hour six, everything had been put away. Crowley had made space for all of it. Once they'd retired the nesting suitcases and closed all the closet doors, Aziraphale took his husband by the hand to the kitchen island, sat him down and uncorked a bold cherry-dark Montepulciano d'Abruzzo to pour them each a glass. There, said Aziraphale. That's taken care of. If the moving timeline was perhaps spurred along by what would come to be known between them as the Thunder Gun Incident, well, Crowley could only thank his lucky stars and Madame Tracy for that. Much to Crowley's amusement, Aziraphale had genuinely refused to move from his reading chair on that fateful Friday. He was too afraid of being discovered to do anything but text Crowley over and over in dismay, while his landlady lounged next door in post-coital bliss, or exasperation, or whatever post-coital stage it might have been laughing all the way from the office to a rented zip car, 
Crowley set off to rescue him. Sun was starting to break through the scattered showers. Aziraphale had been right at the hospital. The light was yellow now instead of white. Spring had sent down roots. When fat drops of rain plopped down in enthusiastic little fits here and there, they looked for all the world like stars falling on Crowley's windshield. He still couldn't remember the details of the previous night. As far as he could reconstruct the whole thing, it went blood, panic, hospital, Aziraphale, stitches, Aziraphale, happily ever after, Aziraphale, salad, Aziraphale, enough, Aziraphale, Adam, ice cream, Aziraphale, marsupials, Aziraphale. But that bit toward the end of it all, the bit about hanging out a lot more, that he remembered. He'd spent all day at work trying to convince himself it had actually happened. Which was fine. Every second of concentration that he stole from Dunlevy and gave to his husband felt like a victory. He pulled up to the curb a block from the bookshop and checked his phone. Today, 1748. How long till you get here? They still haven't moved. Have you? No. Way to commit. What are we doing then? I'm here. My hero. Can you come in and pretend to be both of us? Stomp a bit extra on the stairs and pretend you're talking to me? Something like that? Crowley? I'm gonna pass out laughing at you first. But yes, if it'll make you happy. She is totally gonna know. Perhaps. But you won't pretend to yourself she'll never know. That's what counts. I get it. You will never let me live this down, will you? Not in six thousand years. Fuck. Doors locked. I'll drop my keys out the window. Angel, I... WTAF. This is beyond the pale. You have to call me James Bond for the rest of the night. Which Bond girl does that make me? <laughs> See? You do know who James Bond is. Definitely Miss Goodthighs. I think they fell into the bushes. Do you see them? Wait. Plenty O'Toole. Crowley obediently made a big fuss as he opened the door downstairs, loudly telling a story about a friend that was absolutely a riff on a side plot from Parks and Rec. He tried to stomp out of rhythm for two on the stairs. He grabbed the railing once or twice, which he'd seen Aziraphale do. The whole thing evoked memories of the night Pepper had challenged him to dance-dance-revolution at the arcade, which was best left well in the past. When he got to the top, he made a lot of unnecessary hullabaloo in the hallway. His pocket buzzed. Get in here, you fiend! Upon opening Aziraphale's bedroom door, which incidentally flooded his senses with a dizzying wave of flashback, he found his husband looking red-faced and rueful, 
trapped in his antique reading chair, as reported. Crowley crossed over to him, grinning madly, doing a little spin and a grapevine to generate a few extra thumps. And then what does she do? She puts away not one, but two entire orders of waffles, collapses on the office couch, and passes right the fuck out. So, should I take off my coat while you get your things? Are we here long? No, no, I'll uh, only be a moment, Aziraphal answered, standing up at last. He looked like a man desperately in need of a drink. He shook his head, wide-eyed, with a wretched expression clearly meant to sum up his ordeal. Crowley collapsed onto the bed and doubled over with silent, snorting laughter until he couldn't breathe. Aziraphale took a jacket and a jumper out of the closet, and then suddenly he grabbed two great handfuls of hangers and started pulling everything off the rail. Heaps of beige clothing piled higher and higher on the back of his chair. Crowley lifted his sunglasses and wiped his eyes, still gasping. <laughs> that bad, huh? he whispered. Shh! Aziraphale hissed back. I'm so glad you brought the car round tonight, he said aloud. A little too loud, in fact. He wasn't the subtlest of actors. Not a sound had come from next door, though, so it was the neighbor's turn to freeze and fret. If they were fretting. Which Crowley very much doubted. Yeah, a proper car's handy sometimes. All the better to fetch the little troublemakers with. And all the better to bring a suitcase home, declared Aziraphale. He hauled a monstrous plaid travel bag out of the back of the closet and threw it onto the bed. Here, make yourself useful, he told Crowley. Crowley bounced to his feet and made himself useful by squeezing Aziraphale as tight as he could, still laughing so hard the odd tear escaped. A fizzing, Giddy excitement in his chest was starting to outpace the afternoon's farce as the cause of his joy. Never, Crowley swore into Aziraphale's hair, and he punctuated it with a kiss. He did help with the packing, of course. And then he hoisted the first full suitcase of the move down the stairs and into the car. And then he laughed at his poor husband all the way to a bar that served better whiskey than the Viper Room, where he bought Aziraphale a double on the rocks and then laughed at him some more. They picked up Adam and Brian from their D&D &D game at seven. Beezus answered the door in bare feet, a trucker cap, a ripped lace choker, a floor-length cargo skirt, and a dirty oversized yellow sweatshirt that said, Nope. Bees, what's the occasion? Crowley asked with a big grin and hands in his pockets. Get stuffed, jackass, they said, and stood aside so he could enter. Aziraphale was just tipsy enough to be in an irrepressibly friendly mood. 
Crowley bit his lip and watched in bemused horror as his husband turned to them in the hall, beamed broadly, bowed a little, offered his hand, and reintroduced himself. How lovely to see you again, he was saying, his vowels dripping with extra oxbridge. The wedding was a bit frenetic, I'm afraid, but I do hope we'll have a chance to get better acquainted in days to come. Adam speaks very highly of you indeed. Beezus leaned back, regarding Aziraphale with the demeanour of someone deciding whether to change cars on the subway to escape a mariachi band. But after facing off for several awkward seconds, Aziraphale's brilliant smile just wouldn't quit, so Beezus finally took his offered hand with... Not quite a squeeze, not a shake, not a slap, but something in between that seemed to mock the notion of greetings altogether. Masterful, really, Crowley thought. He'd always admired bees. Okay, they said. Whatever, just keep this witless dishcloth of yours on a fucking leash and we'll do fine. Witless dishcloth! Aziraphale exclaimed gleefully. That's marvellous. Do you mind if I borrow it? Beezer's face contorted in confusion. They blinked, first at him, then to themselves, then they turned and walked away, looking as if they'd just been asked a riddle by the Sphinx. Aziraphale giggled. Crowley's eyebrows nearly hit his hairline. I'm impressed, Angel. You've practically been adopted. Also, notabene, we'd better put some food on that scotch. Sounds almost like Dickinson, Aziraphale said, smiling jubilantly. Witless dishcloth, what a satisfying formulation. Yeah, did you miss the part where it's about me? Crowley groused. It's some TV thing, not Emily bloody Dickinson. The teenagers thundered down the stairs, yelling something about charisma and golems, or possibly Gollum. All four friends were talking non-stop, yet they clearly understood one another. Brian and Wensleydale were loaded down with manuals, maps, and a cardboard treasure chest. Adam interspersed sound effects with his narration of some great battle while he tied his shoes. Pepper attack-hugged Crowley without missing a beat in her passionate tirade about orc oppression. And he squeezed her tight at his side, the way she liked. Meanwhile, he watched like a hawk for any sign of overwhelm or anxiety in his husband. But Aziraphale seemed to be keeping his head. Thriving, even. So Crowley relaxed and let all the bombastic teenage energy wash over him. He loved being Pepper's cool uncle. Cool uncle to all of them, really. Or weird uncle. Whatever. He'd take what he could get. He squeezed Pepper's shoulder fondly. Welcome to the wild, Angel, 
Crowley said to him over her hand. Free-range kids in their natural habitat. Typically, I'm obliged to ruin their fun. <laughs> Azzy Raphael chuckled. <laughs> it's nice not to have to shush anyone for a change. Who the fuck left the chocolate milk out? Beezus hollered from the kitchen. We had a dare, Adam yelled back, as if that explained anything. Crowley snorted. <laughs> yeah, I love it. They're fantastic little chaos bombs. Aren't you just? He asked Pepper. Chaos bombs, she shouted proudly, latching onto his waist even tighter. The chaos only increased as Wensleydale's parents arrived to claim him. Raphael knew the Wensleydales from conferences. They were mousy, mild, kind people, not particularly imaginative, but very supportive. Perhaps because of the booze, or perhaps because his afternoon ordeal was behind him, Raphael was simply delighted to see them and thrilled to recount the details of the wedding and chuffed at their son's personal essay draft. They were charmed as only American Anglophiles could be while he held forth, and best of all, they failed to ask Crowley a single awkward well-meaning liberal question. In fact, Crowley didn't have to say a word. He just stood there grinning and played Jungle Gym for Pepper, then Coat Rack for Adam. Fuck, but everything was better with Aziraphale around. Beezus directed them all out the door with karate chops, creative trilingual curses and a well-aimed kick at Adam's rear end. Hey, dipshit, they yelled from the porch. Everyone looked, but they clearly meant Crowley. You're back on rotation next week. Honeymoon's over. Crowley bowed deeply and walked backwards out of the gate. Yes, your lordship. Whatever does that mean? Aziraphale asked. Crowley unlocked the car. I'm back to hosting Saturday nights. We're... We're hosting some Saturday nights. And some of spring break. Should have mentioned that, maybe. Can get a bit loud. Aziraphale paused with his hand on the passenger door. Problem? Crowley asked. Nothing. He shook his head as if to clear it. I just... Well, this is the first day I've had the... Pleasure of driving with you. Being driven by, rather. Why, do you want to drive? Oh, no, I didn't mean... That is, I just... Crowley grinned and slipped behind the wheel. Good, you can't. It's a rental. Get in the car, Angel. Can I drive, Crowley? Asked Brian. What? What? No, no! What? What? Crowley squawked in soprano. It's only like three miles. Fuck no, Brian. I... how... fuck no. Crowley started the car and then pounded the steering wheel a few times. 
No, 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 fucking heaven, no. I got my learner's permit, Brian said in a teasing sing-song voice. Gah, reasoned Crowley. He backed out of the alley and tried not to think about driving. Thinking about it made it so much harder to do. Especially at the speed he preferred to do it. Speeds that were making Aziraphale grip the armrest something fierce. Again. I want to go with you sometime, though, Brian complained. My mum won't teach me anything cool. Yeah, and, and, and neither will I, Crowley spluttered. When you and I go driving, it'll be in a Costco parking lot in Beza Subaru, because so help me, you are gonna learn to drive a manual and be really bad at it for a while before I can handle you going 30. We could go 30, perhaps, Aziraphale offered through gritted teeth. Crowley was rocking in his seat, badly shaken. You can't drive. You can't fucking drive. Oh my fuck. I went on the freeway yesterday. Wicked! Adam cheered. Oh! Crowley opined. Come on, Crowley, I want to go with you sometime. Aziraphale pointed urgently. There's a cyclist just there. See the reflectors? I've known you since you were four, Crowley shouted, clearing the cyclist and then weaving around a parallel parking escalate at full speed. And that was like three hours ago. Respect your elders. Give me a week to be old and weird and have a nervous breakdown about it. Then can we do donuts? You do donuts? Aziraphale interjected in a strangled tone. You can do donuts? Adam asked in awe. No, we are not doing donuts. We eat them. Eat donuts. Maybe. If you're lucky. Crowley continued chanting, No, no, holy shit, no, in his head, and occasionally aloud, until they dropped Brian off at home. And while he dropped off Adam and Aziraphale. And the zip car. And while he thought the black bean, corn and yam chili on the stove. Brian could drive. Brian could fucking drive. And next Pepper, and then Wednesdaydale, and Fuckity fuck, Pepper would want to train on his bikes when she was old enough. And Brian could drive. We heard you the first time, Adam shouted impatiently from his bedroom. Blinking down at the pot, Crowley tried to keep his full mouth shut and remember what went with chili. Foods. Other foods. And liquids. Right? He felt a hand between his shoulder blades and shivered. Aziraphale started scratching his back lightly. Sorry, I'm... Uh... Crowley swallowed and stirred half-heartedly. 
I understand. Or I nearly do, at least. Aziraphale was apparently taking a turn at Kitchen Koala. He grabbed Crowley around the waist from behind and hugged him close, nuzzling the nape of his neck. Dunno why that hit me so fucking hard. These things sneak up on a person. Should be paying attention to you, though. <sighs> Crowley sighed. Suitcase and nipple trauma, no. I'll pull it together in a few, promise. Just give me a minute. Aziraphale huffed a small laugh, hot on the back of his neck. I'm out of that car in one piece. I couldn't ask for anything more. That bad, huh? Forget, Brian. You should not teach anybody to drive. Especially not Adam. Crowley shook his head quickly and lowered his voice to the faintest whisper. He won't, for obvious reasons, drive. Aziraphale squeezed him hurriedly. Oh, of course, forgive me. Crowley glanced towards Adam's bedroom door. It was shut. He probably won't, anyway. There's some promising biofeedback stuff, but yeah. Unless something changes pretty radically. You know, anyway. I could have given it two seconds thought, really. I should have known better. Don't. It's fine. Just don't make it into, like, it's not a thing, you know? It ought to be just a a fact about his life, not a sob story or an obstacle. Quite right. I take your meaning. Crowley tasted a few beans and cracked a smile. Shit, now I really do want to take him to do some donuts. Crowley! Aziraphale smacked his arm and detached. What went with chili was cornbread and greens, Crowley finally remembered. So he started to pick the greens, then remembered to stop and ask for help picking the greens, and he prepped some Johnny Cakes. When he looked up again to check on his boys, he nearly dropped the entire carton of eggs. Adam had opened the door to his room and was ushering Aziraphale in. Was this the first time? It had to be. Yes, definitely the first time. Crowley couldn't help craning his neck to catch a glimpse of the colourful clutter inside. It was an odd space compared to other teenagers, messy and clean in the opposite of the usual way. Every shelf and horizontal surface was cluttered with the detritus of boyhood, but the carpeted floor was immaculate, aside from the odd hoodie or socks. Adam liked drawing and building kits and crafts, and he hated getting rid of anything he'd made, so paper spaceships, glued-together Lincoln log cabins, and dinosaur dioramas crowded the shelves. Behind them were rows, sometimes double rows, of comics and paperbacks pushed all the way to the back of the shelves. There were no plants. For the past year or so, 
Crowley had been giving Adam more privacy. So on the rare occasion he was allowed inside, like last night, fuck, panic-stricken, heart-pounding, blood-welling, thank fuck it was all right, thank fuck it was over, he'd sometimes notice new additions to the art collection. After their California trip, he'd walked in to find a whole new poster board dominating the wall, covered in photos of Adam and his friends. He'd never seen it come into the house, never been asked for help hanging it up, didn't recognize most of the photos, which it seemed the kids had taken themselves. It was a discovery as delightful as it was devastating. This is the one, Adam was saying quietly to Aziraphale. We named it the Bubble Book because that's what I called it when I was little. He didn't mention that. He always tells the other parents. I think he thinks it's cute. Well, <laughs> you must admit, Aziraphale chuckled. I'm not cute, Adam insisted. That's not what I meant. You must admit, he's a soft touch. Crowley scrunched his nose and smiled down at the cast iron. He flipped the browning cornbread cakes. He knew he shouldn't really eavesdrop, but he also knew that Adam knew he was listening. He'd left the door open. Sometime later I should show you these. Adam said, shifting things loudly on his shelves. If you like, are these photo albums? Yeah, this is the other one. Adam brought his books out to the couch, and Aziraphale sat next to him with folded hands, his face a mask of wonder. He was looking at Adam far more attentively than at the giant coffee table book of Hubble images. Crowley, the soft goddamn touch, turned away and stood in the open fridge for a moment to regain his composure. And to find the pickled jalapenos and the sour cream. He was not emotionally compromised at all while he shredded the spinach. Adam was pointing out the worn pages of his favorites from when he was small, the spilled apple juice that had more or less become one with the pillars of creation, the tear he'd made on the edge of Galaxy M51, over which he'd cried for a whole day. A couple of pages had been scribbled on with a green crayon. Remember Alpha Story? Adam said, loudly enough that Crowley knew he was being roped into the conversation. He couldn't see the book, but he knew which page they were looking at. Twin stars locked in orbit around their common barycenter, bright and close and graffitied by a four-year-old. I do, he said thoughtfully, as he ladled chili on top of the greens to wilt them. We took a lot of spaceships to Alpha Story around bedtime. And somebody got really excited a few years back when they announced that planet in the habitable zone. Yeah, I sort of wanted to go into the book when I was little, Adam said, smoothing a palm over his youthful vandalism.
and that was the only way I could think to. But soon as I did it, I knew I'd ruined it. Right there, see, I tried to erase. It's funny now, you know. I kind of like it, but I was so mad back then. I imagine every child tries that at least once, said Aziraphale in a tone of quiet awe. Do you ever have kids? Adam asked. Crowley glanced up, but he couldn't see Aziraphale's expression from this angle. He caught the shake of the head, delayed a moment, perhaps by the shock of being asked. Adults came all unhistoried to kids. As far as Adam was concerned, Aziraphale could have been anything before this year. Anything at all. Or like nieces or nephews? You know, I'm not sure, said Aziraphale. I probably do, but I haven't met them. We don't always... Well, you already understand this, but the family you wind up with isn't necessarily the family you start out with. The questing party changes. Oh yeah, totally. Adam agreed, nodding sagely as if it were a truth universally acknowledged. Anyway, I was so sad about the M51 page that Crowley took us to the planetarium for the first time. That's one of my first memories. Aziraphale looked over his shoulder at Crowley, who was fighting not to turn bright red. And how are you managing there, Crowley? he asked. I'm be-fucking-side myself. Brian can drive, Crowley complained. Don't be dramatic, Crowley, Adam said loftily. I'll be dramatic if I like. It's my house. Adam sighed and adopted that patronizing expression that drove Crowley up the wall. Don't worry about him, Adam reassured Aziraphale. He's just constantly flipping out cause we're growing up. He'll be fine. It's not about you. Then he very sincerely reached out and patted Aziraphale on the shoulder like a well-meaning little league coach. Crowley snorted and splashed chili across the stove, trying to suppress a loud guffaw. It just looked so bizarre. Aziraphale was sitting stiff as a statue and probably fussing up a nice frenzy inside his head, the poor man. Crowley threw the last of the perishables back into the fridge. Food's done, he announced. Let's do a couch dinner. Get this movie rolling. Adam pursed his lips and shook his head. See, now he's embarrassed that he's freaking out. So he's trying to use food to change the subject. Oldest trick in the book. I... Aziraphale was quite at a loss. And it was adorable. Thank you for the enlightening behind-the-scenes commentary. Yeah, sure. I accept payment and cash, comics and bubble tea. Adam stood up and cleared the coffee table. You brought a suitcase tonight, right? He asked Aziraphale. I, yes, so I did. 
Adam rolled his eyes. Yeah, he'll be fine. Soon enough, they were all parked on the couch with trays and food and drinks. Adam wielded three remotes with practiced ease to queue up the Princess Bride. Aziraphale was discovering the joy of Johnny Cakes and Bourbon Cherry Preserves for the first time, and his unconscious audio reviews of the experience were really something. Crowley snuck his toes under the arch of Aziraphale's foot and hoped they'd be allowed to stay there. Isn't this technically a screen? asked Aziraphale. Huh? Crowley hinged. No screens, double chores. I thought that was the deal, Aziraphale reminded him. Mm, yeah, but... Crowley looked helplessly at Adam. But what? Adam grinned. But it's movie night, Crowley protested. I grounded him, I didn't ground me. And this is what I want to do. He slouched, glowering with his bowl on his chest. Aziraphale chortled in amusement. Honestly, a chortle. It was ridiculous. Well, I suppose that settles that. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic soup, Crowley. Inspired. It's not soup, it's fucking chili, he grumbled. I didn't bloody rescue you just so you could come over here and insult my cooking. Aziraphale gripped his knee and gave him a look of such burning fondness that Crowley wanted to melt. He scowled more in response, but Aziraphale's smile just got bigger and brighter. Fuck, love was so goddamned embarrassing. What? Crowley snapped. Mm, nothing at all, darling. Aziraphale hummed happily. Then he pointed and exclaimed, Oh, look! Columbo!